0: Sport, insight, inspiration. This is your host, Aroop Soans. Welcome to Kite Talks. All right, uh, we are live. Um, welcome to Kite Talks. This is Aroop Sons. Uh, we have a special guest all the way uh, from the US uh, in Boston. We have Will Norton with us. He's the director of the McCormack Center of Sport Research and Education University of Massachusetts, Amherst, a fantastic uh, place of learning. Thank you, Will, uh, for joining us. I know it's early morning your time, and uh, but uh, appreciate you taking the time out for us.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to to speaking across the across the world here this morning.
0: Awesome. Uh, so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Will, the idea is to really pick your brain about your experiences in sport. Uh, I know you're now um, uh, forefront from the education, uh, education side, but, but obviously you started your career uh, or your early part of your career was working in sport. Uh, and then you sort of moved to the education side. want to okay. touch upon your uh, experience, uh, I would say, with, with stats. Uh, I think that was uh, part of your early experience. And then post that you pursued an MS in, in sports man, sport yeah. management. So just uh, we'll start there and, and then we'll uh, take the conversation forward.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And um, I think the the beauty of the sports industry is sort of everyone has a unique path. And I've certainly been listening to these types of talks and panels and conferences throughout my career. And I was sort of, you know, listening to to glean insights from someone's path to see what alternative route maybe they took into where they are today, because I think everyone has a unique kind of um, track. But sure. uh, my track started in uh, at a Chicago-based uh, data analytics firm called Stats. It's now Stats Perform um, based on a merger within the last year. But at the time I was working there, they were the research arm for Fox Sports. Um, and really, I mean, this is mid-2000s. So this is just as some of the data analytics firms are starting to roll out uh, player performance data and tracking, but also starting to think about how that data um, is woven into the media ecosystem. So how do you sell that through to broadcast entities? How does that change the way um, fans from India to New York can watch the NBA? Um, so it was really expanding kind of the, the stakeholder set that stats was selling to. Um, my primary job there was twofold. I was, um, compiling data and statistics on actual gameplay information for the NFL and the uh, and Major League Baseball. And so we would actually go through the tape, take a look at um, the gameplay, run that through our statistical engine, and then turn that into advanced scouting packets that we would then sell to the teams and, and the leagues. So to help teams get a, a competitive edge on the field. So that was sort of a, a bit of a dream uh, job as a you know young 20-year-old who's getting paid to watch sports. Um, that was a, certainly a a really fun way to spend my week, my weeks. Although the hours were very long, a lot of weekends. Um, the other piece of it was working on a technology that we had developed, a proprietary um, optical tracking technology called SportView, which stat, Stats has um, since sort of pivoted away from this space. But they were really the first in the in the industry to develop in-stadium player tracking cameras that were in the. Uh, the upper banners of the stadium, and would look down to track players and turn those movements into uh, an X Y coordinate that you could actually um, create on the back end, right? And and spit out uh, advanced statistical information on teams. So we created this uh, database and algorithm um, that would allow teams to to really quantify player performance, but also quantify things like um, usage and fatigue and taking a look at how fast someone could run or, or how many times they were good in a certain play. Um, and this was extended to the NBA primarily, but also European and, and uh, Latin American soccer or football. Um, you can imagine how a, an optical tracking camera in a soccer stadium could unearth a lot of statistical insights yeah. on the game of soccer, um, which is still being, I think, created today. So it was a great four years there, four plus years at Stats. It really gave me a... a Really, a, an insight into the the thought process behind creating creating a meaningful system to gather data. Um, it's it's one thing to see it in an article or to see it on a broadcast, but to actually understand the methodology behind you know what's the question that leads you to actually want to measure that output, mm-hmm. and then what does a stakeholder get from understanding that output? Um, so it was really interesting for me, not only on the on the on the field side, but then to see how we used it. Um, to sell through to our media partners, and then you'd you'd see it actually on the broadcast as you're watching at home, and understand where those data points are coming from. Um, so it's a it's a downtown Chicago-based company. They've done fantastic work and are moving a little heavier into um, AI and data science realms now. Um, but it was a really interesting start to my career before uh, before I I, I pivoted in, in 2010.
0: And 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 post that is 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 when you. Uh, decided. Okay, uh, you need to sort of—I wouldn't call it upskill, but really sort of get yourself more immersed into the business of sport and, and, and pursue a, an MS. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. And, and and you did that from Amos itself? Yes.
1: Yeah. I um I had gone through an undergraduate education where I was um, looking at pre-law and politics. So I had I had started off at a law firm actually out of college and and had transitioned to stats. Yeah. So. When I reached a point at Stats where I was kind of looking around saying, how do I upskill or what's my next sort of trajectory? And I had reached a little bit of a plateau there, I felt. Um, and so I started looking around into sort of more broad based sport business programs because I felt like I had excellent experience to offer a program at Stats, but also that. I was a little bit green uh, or a little bit naive as to what the overall ecosystem of sport management looked like. I knew a very small niche of it, but mm-hmm. I think I was curious to see what other segments existed. And I didn't feel like I had gotten a sort of formal management training necessarily at my undergraduate institution. So um, I'm from Boston originally, um, and I started looking around and you know knew that UMass Amherst had top-ranked program in the in the United States and it mm-hmm. was really one of the oldest programs uh, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary next year and it's we're one of a few programs that have actually started the um concentration of sport as a management discipline back in the 1960s so I looked at it and fell in love with it uh, on a visit and and met their faculty and just felt like at that time it was a really nice way to level up my education, skill up in some in some quantitative areas, Mm -hmm. but also access a larger network than I had at Stats. Um, I had a pretty good sport industry network coming into the program, but um, UMass had, you know, 3,000 plus alumni who are working in industry and who are willing to pick up the phone for you. Um, At the time, I really wanted to leverage my statistical experience at stats into a job in a front office of a major league baseball team. And at the time, UMass had three general managers in major league baseball and had really the, the best pipeline of any program in the world at placing people inside of, uh, of the baseball ops world. Um, so that was really dri- drove my decision. And, um, it was a tough decision to leave Chicago. My wife and I, my wife's from there. And we, we loved it there and it was a fantastic place to live and work and play. Um, but it was a, it was the right move to pursue. I ended up doing a dual degree, an MBA and an MS in sport management. So they have a, a 20 month program that's a two year and gives you sort of the formal MBA as well as a master's in sport. Oh, nice. Yeah.
0: And, and I'm, I'm guessing that was that was full time. I'm, I'm, you weren't you weren't working during that time.
1: Right. We've started to play around with the idea of a hybrid program that would allow, let's say you, if you wanted to get the master's, you could continue to do what you're doing and sort of uh, add on the online degree and maybe visit Amherst once a year uh, to meet your cohort. So we've we've played around with these ideas, but our bread and butter, our sort of core program is an on-ground program that really is immersive gets you into the classroom Um, you don't have much time to be doing anything else during the core curriculum because you're you're taking six classes at once you've got tons of group projects you've got to be networking um you we pair you with an industry mentor that gets you someone who will sort of let you shadow them in industry so if you're doing everything right you should be doing it full-time so we we moved uh to western massachusetts to to fully immerse yeah
0: So So, post your program, uh, I know you uh, you've worked on both you 've worked on both sides of sport, one is with yeah. the professional team side mm-hmm. as well as an agency side uh, uh, which, which do you prefer and, and tell us maybe some stories from from either of those experiences?
1: Yeah, um, I was lucky at UMass to leverage our network to get a job with the Boston Celtics in corporate partnerships and business development. Um, it was a summer placement in between my two years that I then sort of positioned into some, some longer term work. Um, but the, the Celtics were really ahead of the curve at this time. They were one of the first teams to move quickly into social media and understanding that was a, I know saying that now it sounds like how could anyone not have been moving into social media, but there were still teams and properties who were hesitant to develop uh, robust social channels to reach their followers and to start to sell from. Um, the Celtics were the first team to move on a lot of that. so. I got an interesting look at the NBA at the, at the time, though. Um, now that we're going through this pandemic, it's sort of reminding me of I worked there during the 2011 NBA lockout. So the season actually was up in the air. Um, the Players Association and the league had not been able to uh, settle on a collectively bargained revenue split, mm-hmm. and they were holding out. Um, <clears throat> this was a Celtics team that was kind of old uh, but still had a shot at at, a, at an NBA championship. And so we were, on the sales side, you're trying to sell sponsorships and you're trying to sort of create and activate an experience, but that's that's really an, a non-starting agreement or a discussion when you have no games. And so we started, it really, the light bulb went on for me of how much of what we're selling is really driven around the primary product and the experience that the fans derive around that product. So, Um, we had sponsors leaving, you know, there there were sponsors who were saying, we don't know if there's a season, so we can't continue to invest. We had sponsors who wanted to understand how we could be flexible. Um, And I was certainly on the junior level of of our core team, but um, putting together some of the creative pitches that we were trying to bring out to companies to say, you know, in lieu of games, here's what we can do for you. Mm -hmm. um, And understanding kind of the full mix of what the Celtics offer. Um, After school, I ended up, leading a sponsorship strategy division at an agency called Epsilon. Um, and that to me, that was, it's it's a more dynamic experience at an agency, because instead of working on one brand um, with one property, you're really extending out throughout multiple accounts and starting to figure out, you know, if one of my clients sponsors 10 different properties, um, I need to be a subject matter expert with each of those 10, mm-hmm. but I also need to understand really above anything else, what the brand objectives are for, for my clients. So the Celtics position helped me realize how brand first we had to really start thinking is, you may think you, you hold most of the cards selling the Celtics because it's a legendary franchise, but you need to become a brand expert to be able to have a good conversation with a brand to make them feel like their marketing um, dollars are going in a, to, to a place that they're gonna be handled correctly. So getting to get into the agency side, I think that really helped me uh, think brand first. And whether we were doing something with the Boston Red Sox or the New York City Marathon um, or Universal Studios Hollywood in Los Angeles, wherever the brand was putting their investment, um, it really had to come back to how does this move the needle forward for us you know, in store or online. Um, so I would say agencies are much more dynamic. You've got to kind of be nimble and be able to jump uh, and think think creatively about different brands. Whereas a property um, to me is you're dealing from a little bit more of a position of strength, um, but you are up against some constraints like no games, a lockout. Um, You, you don't necessarily control your stadium or your venue, but that's a big part of how fans associate um, the brand equity that you offer with them in the market. Right. So there's some things that are outside of your control Uh, players. You don't always control players. They're on your team, but, you, you know, not every one of them is the best PR machine for you necessarily. Um, so it, it's an interesting mix, and I, I think I think both. If 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 people want to get in and get their hands dirty in sports, it's nice to have some varying experiences and really just figure out what you like and what you don't like.
0: And and I believe that that experience was a good uh, six odd years, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And then and then uh, how, how did you sort of decide to? segue into the education side of things. Was that, was that all a conscious choice or did, uh, uh, yeah. by, by chance?
1: It was a little bit by chance. Um, I, if you told me 10 years ago that I'd be teaching, I would have said, <laughs> no way. Um, <laughs> you know, It was a time where I was, um, I, to keep this in a shorter form story, but I was looking to get be cl- a little bit closer to home um, for some family reasons and wanting to have a little bit more time to be around family, um, and agency life had become fairly consuming. It is long hours when, as you elevate up on the account team, you have um, a myriad of, of responsibilities that end up taking you know seventy hour weeks, and you're traveling oftentimes if you're in the experiential or um, sport eventing world. So I had been looking at maybe a transition to somewhere, and it just happened to be that I was doing some consulting work on the side and the UMass program had had a a need for someone who had worked kind of in the functional areas that I had worked in sports. They they had someone leave and they needed a hole to be filled essentially. So um, I took a one-year position there thinking that I would basically teach three core classes that I am uh, a subject matter expert in and also do some consulting on the side and basically just see where that went for a year. Um, It felt like a good time to transition out of the agency that I was at um, and it also seemed like a cool opportunity that I think in my heart, I knew a little bit that I, I had always enjoyed the world of teaching, whether, you know, but it was always a how do I get there without doing a formal PhD or something like that that had prevented me from from pursuing that long term. So I did it for a year. It ended up being incredibly rewarding. Uh, and somehow here I am finishing up my fifth year at UMass with um, a lot more responsibility than I had five years ago, but a lot more joy too in my day-to-day work it's it's a it's a really interesting time to be you know i think the the evolution of sport business has been on a parallel path with the evolution of sport business education i think the the education world has really tried to keep pace um and has done a really good job of funneling experts into the industry that are making you know leadership choices that we can be proud of so it's a different value exchange right it's a different reward to be passing on knowledge and to try to cultivate future leaders and in, in students versus being out on the front lines yourself. Um, there's certainly pluses and minuses to both, I think. Um, but for me, it's been UMass is a special place to me. And that's part of what's made it enjoyable is that we have a, in my mind, a very differentiated program set and a incredibly loyal alumni base and, um, and opportunities and resources that I think some places don't have. So it's been, it's been incredible.
0: So I, I want to dive a little bit deeper in, in, into um, what you do at UMass. I mean, what's what's your current role and, and what, what, what what do you focus on sort of maybe on a day-to-day and or what's your then, what do you have to think uh, is, is sort of the long-term vision with, with the program and how do you guys grow that and given mm-hmm. how, um, I mean, now in, in the current scheme of things, it's, it's so easy to connect. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, building a sort of network, like you said, the alumni are really important uh, and, and sort of keeping them engaged, um, because at the end of the day, they're, they're probably the ones who are going to hire uh, the students uh, coming out of the yeah. program. Yeah, so just uh, yeah. a little bit more of, of, of really what uh, your focus uh, is uh, at this point.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think we're we're really lucky to have Alums who care. We're lucky to be in a business school, which is we're one of only two programs in the U.S. that's actually housed in a business school. So that's a big difference is a lot of programs will be a school of public education or a school of physical health or something, right? But um, And I'm not denigrating those programs, but I think it's very different to be housed in a business school where you get that formal management foundation and that training, and then you you become a specialist, right? But you, but you still understand corporate accounting and you still can understand marketing and finance and things that are gonna follow you in sports. Um, my day-to-day role is really, I came in with a very active industry network myself and relationships that I built through the work that I had performed um, at, the, at the companies we just talked about. So I came in and one of the things I do is I lead our MBA, our graduate students with their um, their capstone practical class, which is a three month long consulting project with outside industry. So um, we just finished those last week for this semester. We uh, work with the US uh, Olympic and Paralympic Committee. In the past, we've worked with Under Armour, Visa, Bank for America, you know, Major League Soccer. There's, we, we contract these projects. I go and source them. I discuss with them sort of a strategic need that they may have. And then we let our students and teams of four finish up their MBA experience by doing three months of real world work for that company. Um, so th- those are projects that I lead, advise and teach. Um, I also teach several undergraduate classes. So we have across freshman to senior year in college, which is four years of undergrad in the States. We have uh, 550 students in those four years who are majors in sport uh, management. So we're the actually the second largest major of the seven in the business school so we have a lot of need for teaching on the undergraduate side because we have a lot of kids um, so i specialize in digital media sponsorship strategy and i've taught economics and finance in the past as well so that's um a good a good portion of what i do as well and then i started uh, the second year i was there i took over the mccormick center um which i think you had m- mentioned in my intro mm-hmm. which is an interdepartmental agency arm that is a revenue generating arm so when i took over the role they again they one of the reasons i've stayed as long as i have is that because i think what i like to do has also matched what the department's needs were at the time that i came in you know they didn't necessarily have someone who had the industry-facing experience or maybe the energy a lot of our faculty have a ton of researching uh, uh, obligations and publishing obligations that take up all their time, which is understandable. So I took over the center and we have really created, um, that's sort of a second job for me. And we've created a case study collection in sports that looks at strategic issues in sport management. Um, We're actually thinking about writing one now on the the pro comedy league in India and how that's been a a success story. Um, So we look at global issues and then we write case studies, much like the Harvard case study collection, just in sports specifically. I also have led up an international partnerships arm, which um, we were working with uh, GISB at, at, within the track and Neil Shaw and his team on integrating some of what we do in the classroom to their growing uh, industry-driven master's program in Mumbai. Um, we've had partnerships as well in the past with the J League, uh, professional soccer league in Japan, um, institutes in, in India, uh, or excuse me, in Brazil, as well as uh, China. So that international arm is also a, a revenue-generating arm that, that I run to further the thought leadership of sport management, but also funnel some resources back into our program that we can we can use on ground. So, I think it's a, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: No, it's, I, uh, I mean it's a it, it's really interesting. You mentioned sort of this the the international piece, and and is is the focus more on on trying to. Sort of maybe get more students to come and and be part of the program in Boston, or is it also mm-hmm. to really understand, uh, I mean, the network or or, or, or the business outside? See, of course, the U.S. Yes. is uh, the U.S. in, in terms of uh, a sporting infrastructure uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: business. I mean, it's mm-hmm. extremely organized uh, more than any other part of the of part of the world, uh, but at the same time like you said, I mean, there's case studies like like the Kabaddi League in, in India and, and, and other uh, really interesting uh, models and case studies around the world. So again, yeah. the focus uh, with, with, with the center is more of both, uh, I mean, uh, attracting students, but also sort of trying to understand uh, what's happening world over and, and being able to give those resources to the current uh, right. uh, students.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. We, um, in in 2011, Mark McCormick, who was the, he had passed away at that point, but his family, you know, the founder of IMG, what we sort of consider of sort of the father of sports marketing in the 1960s, who figured out that there's this whole commercial side of, of athlete and event yeah. and sponsorship and media that can be commercialized. Um, we contracted with his family and the McCormick Family Trust to become the Mark H. McCormick Department of Sport Management and have those naming rights placed on our department, our university, our business, you know, with the whole ecosystem at UMass. And part of the vision i think there was to further the thought leadership that mark had pioneered at img and to sort of create further thought leadership and apply his innovation story out into the industry and so when we looked at the center and some of these international partnerships i think the goal was twofold to to further the mccormick legacy to create you know equity in markets where maybe the img you know img reliance's name is already known and the mark mccormick story is already known but we can create New commercial and and, um, and strategic inroads into those markets, uh, and also just to bring some of our resources to markets that are are still <clears throat> developing and are also in in the same headspace as we are, wanting to sort of create this two way collaborative learning. Like we're going to learn things from GISB and on Track, as well as they're going to learn things from us. It's a two way exchange. There's value both ways because we're diff- We're we're dealing with different ecosystems in our two countries, right? But we know that sports is a global language. Um, it's something that everyone can understand. So the degree to which we use it as a recruiting tool, I would say certainly we love to have conversations through partners globally if they, have, if they happen to have students or stakeholders or executives that want to pursue our educational offering. But I wouldn't say that's, I, I don't, we, don't, we don't contract or, or develop these partnerships with that as the primary objective because we know that a lot of the people we're working with, they actually wanna stay where they are and grow what they have organically at home. Um, and UMass is one way to help them uh, garner educational tools to get there. But we, um, we know that it's sometimes a struggle to move, you know, do an on-ground program in Massachusetts and then, and then move back um, because of the visa issues and some of the issues we see around placement, um, around staying in the United States coming out of the program um so we we've looked at these international partnerships as we've said no to more things than we've said yes to uh we're fairly selective around who we want to work with and um because it's it's really it's a team of one in the in the center which is me um and i certainly have some other resources but we're not a full agency right with like 30 people that are working around the clock so it's been it's been really fun innovative work for me it's kind of feels like an entrepreneurial you know, starting. And it's one of the reasons I've stayed at UMass this long is because it's, it's felt like much more than a teaching job uh, for me. Nice.
0: No, and, and like you said, I mean, it, it's it's an enriching side of, uh, I mean, when you see graduates sort of uh, come out of a program and you see them yeah. sort of get jobs and and, and do well. Uh, I think it's it's extremely fulfilling, I, I, I imagine. Um, There's nothing better. <laughs> I, I completely agree. Um, okay. want to um, talk about uh, obviously, the relationship with India, right? Uh, I mean, uh, of course, you 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 probably know that, that India is now. I mean, it's a it's a growing market. Yes, of course, uh, when you when you when you talk dollars, they've already reached a particular uh, a huge point. I mean, the IPL, the cricket league, um, is, is. I mean, the broadcast rights are, are, are absolutely crazy in terms of numbers. But but uh, if you put it in perspective, it's uh, the league's only 12 years old. So. It's, uh, when, you, when you think about it compared to other parts of, of the world, I mean, India has a lot to do and there's a lot of uh, opportunity and, and so goes with uh, the education side of things. Um, uh, mm-hmm. since, since the time I did my master's in the US 10 years ago, I think there are more than eight programs uh, that, have, that have come up uh, in, uh, in, in India and, yeah. and now... Uh, something like like this, which is uh, as as India would call it, a landmark sort of deal, where uh, in uh, a university like UMass uh, has, has has put a partnership together with with an institute in in, in India. I mean, that's that's fantastic uh, for uh, for for aspiring um, uh, kids and students as well as executives who really want to uh, get in there and, and, and sort of learn a little bit more. So, how did that come about? And, and like you yeah. said. Uh, you've been picky <laughs> uh, about your relationships and, and and what you guys are jumping into but uh, how how did that uh, uh, come about? How did you sort of take the decision and and, and how's it going so far and, and what what does the future hold with that relationship
1: yeah um it's it's such a small sports is such a small world it's a huge universe but it's also a tiny little tiny little planet within that universe so when you think about sort of the the networks that we establish. And um, the program's director, Neil Shaw, is someone who has become a close friend of mine and someone who, you know, I deeply believe in, in terms of someone who understands what, um, really what purposeful and intentional and meaningful sports education means. It's not about just connecting with someone on LinkedIn, or, or putting a logo on your resume, or, or claiming to have some sort of subset of skills that are marketable, it's really about growing relationships. I think he's building that uh, from the ground up with GISB, which is which is something that was very uh, apparent to me early on. Uh, he came through uh, a secondhand connection of a current graduate student, Nishant uh, of ours, uh, who's currently working with Major League Rugby and came through our grad program. Um, And they just had connected me through a mutual desire. He said, I I know this guy who's starting something cool in India. And I know that you're fairly entrepreneurial. So why don't you guys just get on a phone call? And I started speaking with Neil and it was just, it was kind of funny. uh, He was formerly of MLS and had worked in the U.S. And um, lived in California when he was a kid. And we started talking about his seminal moments of his career. And it was just very funny and fortuitous of how he had really been influenced by a lot of UMass alumni throughout his career from folks at MLS who were fundamental in growing him and giving him opportunity to um, industry connections he had made to just secondhand um, folks that he knew with MLB international or whoever it was so he had experienced kind of a lot of network and he had said you know I'm really looking to um, just understand where, where your center adds value and so we, we started a sort of organic conversation and um, you know, we, we met a couple times. I actually came out to Mumbai last year to teach at the program, see what their campus was like, see what kind of quality, what, what students they were building from with that first year cohort. And, um, you know, just get a sense of what their value exchange was. And I think that, you know, when we look at the McCormick Center, it's really, if we're going to be thought leaders, and we, we're going to work with, with institutes that are trying to further themselves, we, we need a sort of apples to apples partner that that sees what we bring, but also is trying to create their own voice, right? And, and is creating their own identity um, and is doing so from a place of strength. And I think uh, India on Track offers that, you know, to, as, a, as the parent or overseeing company within, within GISB. Um, and it just felt like a, a no brainer to me for, for a few reasons. We, we had faculty who were very passionate about um, looking at India as a sporting market and really trying to be a value added partner there. Um, you know, we, uh, we basically certify um, three masters levels modules within their program. We're teaching a portion of their program, but they're also doing a lot of things um, on their own, right, with their own sort of instructors and people from the Indian sports ecosystem that are mm-hmm. teaching, which I thought was really unique is it's industry-driven, it's industry-designed. That's very different in many ways than the U.S. Uh, model of, yeah a large um, universe of, of academic research that formulates top research that then lives within a university system. And you often have a balance between academics and practitioners. Um, meals program really was driven mainly from the practitioner side of, of folks who are actually working and living in the, the Indian sports market. So. We were excited about it. This is year one for us with them. Um, obviously COVID-19 has impacted our travel out there. We were we were there in January as, uh, teaching a module. And it's um, an agreement that in the next few years we're definitely um, enthusiastic about. I know as we see their program grow, I'm sure new, you know, uh, components of the partnership will develop. Um, but I think the idea is to develop the future leaders of the the Indian sports market right the, the the goal or objective is not to have students train at GSB and then go go elsewhere to work we we're very passionate about creating folks who are going to stay and, and look at their own sectors that they're passionate about and use the program and what we offer academically and our network to, to really formulate like some of the some of the pain points of the industry how do we fix some of those you know yeah. some of the disorganization or some of the things that need to be better managed you know how do we how do we push that ball down the field a little bit? And um, knowing that India is a very unique market and as a subcontinent has, has a, a ton of challenges and also a lot of opportunities that, mm-hmm. that the U.S. does not. So like I said earlier, it's something we learn from um, and we'll have, um, if we look back in five years and say, you know, we were able to train up 200 plus people, a good chunk of whom are still working and managing in India, I think that would be, uh, that would be a win.
0: No, and uh, I mean kudos to, to to taking that call because uh, again, it's India, like you said, is is a challenging market. But at the end of the day, there's uh, there's definitely going to be uh, uh, something good that will come out of it, and and, and yeah. all, all all the best for that. Uh, it, it's it's really going to um, uh, do do good, uh, and yeah. I think uh, that's 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 the important part about it, and and of course uh, with 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 somebody like Neil. Uh, uh, heading it up, it's 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 an easy decision. Also from your side, where where you realize, okay, there's somebody that's that's completely driven and 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 looking to sort of uh, make a change, and and there's no real ulterior motive but to be mm-hmm. able to sort of develop sport uh, in in the region and and globally. But no, yeah, uh, fun, fantastic stuff. think really it's a unique hope.
1: model that they've yeah. built. I think we we've seen some of the, we've we've worked with other partners as well in other countries that are doing you know, creating academies or creating sort of educational clearing houses within a league or within an agency or within a a property, but um, it's a unique model. It's not like every market has 15 of these to choose from or just to look in Canvas to say, oh, well, you know, there's, there's this happening. I mean, you'd be surprised how much of this is still educationally is still housed at universities or institutes that don't really specialize in sports. They're sort of just, you know, it's a management program, and you can take a, two classes in sport. And for us, it's it has to be the, the concentration, it has to be the layer of or, or the context that you place on every single assignment, every single lecture. It's got to it's got to be everything. Otherwise, it's you're you're going to be working from behind when you go into industry. Oh, that's
0: true. Um, uh, well, I'm I'm not going to. I know we've, we've, we've slotted about uh, 30 odd minutes and when we're unfortunately at the end of it, I know this conversation can continue and I know we're going to uh, uh, have you again. And of course, probably host you the next time you come to India. Uh, yeah. We will we'll definitely uh, meet. I'm sure of that. Uh, but uh, any, any, any closing thoughts uh, for our, for our listeners, of course, mm-hmm. this, this time, as you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a tough period. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, I know there are going to be opportunities that are going to come out of something like this. Um, mm-hmm. But again, any any closing thoughts? Uh, you know. Yeah, I, I
1: think, I mean, this is sort of the great equalizer. You know, everyone is in the same boat right now. And we have um, people, students who have had job offers rescinded and, and industry veterans who have been laid off and people who are in the trenches of sport who are looking at sectors that are now very quiet and are probably going to be very quiet for six to eight months here so it's an it's a sobering time to, to look at that when you know eight months ago it was a, we would have said you know sports is just this upward curve of trajectory right and it'll get back there but I think my advice is just or not even advice but just perspective I think is you know we are moving so fast before that I think you start getting going on a trend or something that works and you sort of don't stop to ask, is this the right path or is this the right way because it's working and you're moving so quickly. So this has forced us to maybe stop and say, what are some things that we could do better that we now have the time to reevaluate and reassess Um, whether that's in stadium fan experience, whether that's the media broadcast that maybe needs to become a, a more primary dynamic portion of, of the sporting market. It's already large, but maybe that needs to become something that truly could live without any live programming, right? Uh, whether it's the financial side of things, because we're seeing a lot of people struggle on the, the balance sheet right now. Maybe there needs to be more sustainable thoughts around financing a sport operation and, and, and diversifying revenue to make sure that if fans can't go to stadiums, you're not completely at a loss, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's esports, and we look at, so there's a lot of areas that I think are going to have a reassessment here and come out for the better Um, for people who are working in an industry who want to make their name and make a difference. I would look at, you know, where your skills and values align, but also like where the industry might have the most innovation coming out in the next 10 years, based on this, this singular point in time is definitely going to impact, I think a decade of how we think about sports at least. So maybe there's 20 years from now, someone who says that was the moment I knew and I, and I charted my path to try to make the future a little bit different or a little bit, you know, more, more efficient. um, That's an opportunity that frankly doesn't come around all that often. You know, I mean, these, we wouldn't wish this on anyone, of course, but it's here and we have Mm -hmm. to figure out a way to make it work. And now, you know, you've got maybe a once in a century chance to, to realign the industry to be better for the next generations to come, which is a cool challenge and and a fantastic thing to work against. You know, if, if you've, um, if you've got the, the intu- intuition and the education and, and the, the sort of grit to get there, I think it's a, it's an interesting time. So we'll be watching closely sort of what our students and others in industry um, dictate moving forward. And I think um, for us at UMass, it's, it's a time to think about what do we offer and how are we different? And, you know, despite our global reputation, how do we continue to get better one day at a time? That's always something we're thinking about. So... Um, it should be an exciting next 10 years in sports and, and industry. Yeah,
0: no, completely, completely agree. And, 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 and I love, love the optimism uh, at the end of the day. It's, 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 uh, you, that, that's the only way you've got to be. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Will. Really appreciate you taking the time out. And, and, and I'm sure there's, I, I can already think of there's so many takeaways of, of just a little, a little bit of, of sharing your experiences. But again, thank thank you.
1: Thank you, no, my pleasure. And thank you for building these types of collaborative kind of chats that 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 build a a connective tissue, you know, inside of the industry for people to listen and learn from each other. Cause that's huge. So thank you.